This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 13, Episode 41. This is Writing Excuses, Fixing Character Problems, Part 2. Fifteen minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm Amal. I'm Maurice. And we have broken characters. How do we fix them? Uh, Hi! (laughs) This is uh, part two. We talked about this uh, previously with the other podcasting team, and I really want to get Amal and Maurice's thoughts (laughs) on what they do when a character just isn't working. Um, Have you ever had a character... When you get done with your piece, or even midway through it, that you know the character isn't working. Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay so, podcast over. Right. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's, it's it's happened a couple of different ways. Um, I remember early on, um, I had a story, and uh, there's a a young woman, and I was you know I was very much in her head, and right, you know story's going along just fine, and uh, and then I I kill off her husband, and then. The story stopped, and I'm just like, oh, "Yeah, but what do you do next?" What? And nothing. Nothing came after that, um, and that was like the first time when uh, I started finding away the whole idea of, you know, what I have to spend more time developing these characters beforehand because, uh, like I said, this is early in my career, so I hadn't quite reached that whole let's spend weeks with the character and really get to know them because I hadn't done all that work, that back work yet. Um, and I didn't realize that back work still needed to be done. And that's actually become my, my big hint in the work isn't done because the story stops. Um, so either I haven't done enough uh, character building at that point or, uh, an, uh, an, or I haven't done enough world building. Because sometimes the story stops because I haven't developed the, character, uh, the world as a character enough and the story stops. Mm-hmm. Okay, so with you, when the story stops, is this most of the time? If you've got a problem, it's I need to go back and I have not spent enough time with the characters. Yeah, usually that, uh, that's the case. Um, but there was a time when it was pointed out to me that uh, a character wasn't working for me. Um, and that was, <laughs> ironically, uh, with The Usual Suspects, my middle grade novel. Um, and uh, the editor wrote back, and uh, among the editor notes, they were like, you do know that, you know, I love your main character, but he always has a hard edge to him. He's always hard, and that works when he's in the school situation, but he becomes almost one note because he's always doing that. And so, and her suggestion was, why don't you add another character to bring out his softer side? Mm -hmm. And so I ended up... A foil? uh, Right, a foil. (laughs) And, And in this case, the foil was a little sister. Hmm. Um, and because he would he would act one way, you know, at school with his defenses up, but around his little sister, he can't help but lower his guards around her, hmm. and and that brought a whole new dimension to the character and a whole new, uh, basically, a whole new arc to the story. And I was just like, I was so pleased by the time it was done, going in and inserting those scenes of the the two of them interacting. I was like, all right, maybe editors aren't the enemy. <laughs> <laughs> so in my case. Um, because I, I mostly write short fiction, uh, I find that I, the identifying the brokenness of a character al- almost always happens at the outlining stage. And when I say outlining, I don't – I mean, my the, – the way that I tend to write uh, is very – very slowly, but then my final draft, my my first draft is usually very close to my final draft. Uh, so there's a lot of that time that's spent kind of figuring out the story before the before I start actually diving into prose. And it's usually at that stage that I'll see like, oh, this character is just not like I. I find that if I 
if I don't have the sense of the character, I just can't write the scene. So it hasn't yet happened for me that I've written a whole draft of something and been like, mm, that character is actually not working. I need to do something. But the, the problems that I'll encounter as I'm trying to, to do it are usually uh, dependent on whether or not the character has come out of the needs of the plot or whether the plot has come from the the character, the idea okay. of character. Um, so that uh, story I've mentioned before, Madeleine, uh, where with the the kind of like uh, memory flashback hallucination thing, um, that was the idea that I wanted to play with. It actually came out with, I, I wanted to write, I thought to myself, I want to write a time travel story where the way that you time travel is through um, sense memory, is through like being triggered through your senses and it's an involuntary thing and you're literally traveling through time. And it was as I was trying to work out the implications of what that meant um, that I decided, actually, I think what I want to do is, is tell a story more about someone experiencing this. So it's less a high concept thing and more about the experience of memory. And I had to sort of keep zooming in on that idea until I had a character. And even then when I, I, I figured, okay, well, so this is the character. I know that her mother had Alzheimer's, but... But what else? And and the, those blanks um, were where the story ended up living. Um, and the way that I ended up fixing that was was basically just by uh, by putting the plot aside <laughs> completely and thinking like, well, who is she? You know, what? Why is this? Why is it a problem that this is happening? Um, and it, like all these other things came out. Like she's really, really lonely in the wake of having tended to a parent uh, in the last stages of a really terrible illness. And her, she, her friends have more or less abandoned her because they can't deal with how terrible that pain, how sustained and terrible that pain is. Like all of those things, they kind of just came together. Okay. So I'm curious. You've you've both talked about like you know the story stops or or looking for the the story and in kind of the spaces putting the plot aside. Um, are there are there symptoms that that tend to you know that you've now learned that oh when when I the story is breaking in this particular way this is the kind of fix that I usually wind up applying to it. Yeah, uh, one of them uh, one of the fixes uh, happened with uh, my. Uh, uh, urban fantasy series because again I had that big sprawling cast and uh, and again part of the issue was I had all these different storylines I was trying to track and then I didn't realize until after I was starting to map some of them out they're like okay some of these just stop and go nowhere and I've introduced something that I'd never pick up ever again um, and so what I ended up doing was and it helped it actually solved another problem with the book, which is I had so many characters in the book that what I ended up doing is combining characters, mm -hmm. which A, you know, cut down some of the characters, and then B, it, it allowed for uh, some character growth and, and, and whole arcs at that point. Mm -hmm. For me, what I've realized I do, uh, to, to the point where now I design workshops around this, is that um, I feel like the, the the break or the problem happens because I'm trying too hard in one direction. Mm. Uh, and what I end up doing is leaning leaning into the pros. Like, uh, this is going to sound weird and, and super inside baseball-y, I guess. But um, what I end up doing is, because I also write poetry, um, and I, I try to tell my students that I feel like there's a – uh, a day brain and a night brain for poetry, which is a concept I, I first heard articulated by my French friend Narayan. Um, 
But uh, similarly to the way that that when you sing, you use different parts of your brain than when you speak, so, so that if you uh, have a, have speech impediments with your speech, you might not have them if you sing. I find that if I'm really really focused on a lot of pro, like a lot of story issue stuff, structure or character or plot, if I let myself just lean into the the prose that I'm writing uh, and let let my poetry brain take over, then I can sometimes just jump over the, the the skip in the record or the the scratch in the record rather and just move into something else and and keep going. Um so that definitely happened in this story and I it's weird. I can't actually remember what the line was. I just remember very, very clearly that there was a line where I was like, I have no idea where I'm going with this. And I just tried to follow the poetry logic of the line. And it took me somewhere unexpected and into a different metaphor. And then some everything just kind of fell into place for the character. I, I will let you guys know a, a thing because I do, I, I didn't have that language for it, lean into the prose. But, um, but you can spot this in my fiction. Hmm. Uh, if you see my character doing an activity, thinking about what it is that they are you know, how am I going to solve this problem? And Jane is like working with glamour and how is she going to solve this relationship thing? And then she's like, aha, and she puts the glamour down and goes away. That is me free writing to try to figure out a plot problem with my character. Then I'm like, I can't get her from this point to this point. I can't get her over this decision hump. What, What is the thing that she needs to do? And I'll usually go back and trim that sucker down, and sometimes I'll pull it out altogether. But one of the things that I have found is that I, I do like lean into the prose, that I, I will free write as my character, and I will give her an activity that she's doing mm-hmm. while she's trying to figure it out. Huh. This is really interesting to me. Um, it's going to be a slight tangent, but it kind of plays into a, a theory I have where um, when I was younger and when I was becoming a writer, I always imagined writing as more of a craft. It's like you are building something brick by brick by mm-hmm. brick um, and whatnot. And the more I've been a writer, the more I realize it's more a performance art. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You go over something over and over, at least for me, I'm a planner, over and over in my head. I practice it. I practice certain skills. And then I sit down and it's like, Blam! This thing happens, and then I'm left with this thing. And now I'm going to cultivate it, but the actual creating of the story, it's like doing a play where f- this is performance night. Then I get to go back and revise it. And it's mm. this really weird shift that's happened in my brain the more I've become a writer, which is an odd shift for someone who is kind of a outliner like me that always kind of saw it brick mm-hmm. by brick. I mean, this is a thing that I, I think I talked about in my very first episode with Writing Excuses before I was a full-time cast member, that that my training as a puppeteer was to break techniques apart so that when you got into the art of it, you weren't thinking about the technique anymore. You could just do the performance. And I think that that's a thing that early career writers were still thinking about all of the techniques. Mm-hmm. And so when you're trying to to figure out a character problem, it's like a character problem can lie in so many different aspects of character. It can be it can be a motivation issue. It can be a backstory issue. It can be a a, um, a goal issue. It can be the personality issue, you know, that the character's personality doesn't fit with the thing you need them to do. Mm-hmm. And, and, and learning to identify where these problems lie 
is is difficult. And once you figure that out, a lot of it does become very intuitive. Let's go ahead and stop for our book of the week. Uh, book of the week is actually the only harmless great thing. Ah, oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. I, I love this so much. The only harmless great thing is a Tor.com novella by Brooke Bolander. And it's amazing. It's about, um, oh, it's about, a, a, ostensibly, it's about the fact that during wartime on Coney Island, uh, they started teaching elephants to use paint brushes so that they could paint, I think, what is it, clocks with radium or something like that. So they basically offloaded the extremely dangerous and terrible task of like deal, of, of interacting with radium onto elephants because they could survive longer than the um, underprivileged women who had been doing it up until that point. Uh, so it's about this woman uh, who is teaching this elephant how to do this at first. Uh, but it's it's a narrative that's also broken up by a kind of, uh, it's an alternate alternate future sort of where those events took place. So imagining an alternate future from that same actual real thing that happened. But it's intercut with um, elephant folklore, <laughs> like folklore that elephants have uh, with mythologies that elephants have. So it imagines that elephants have this storytelling tradition that reaches back to the mammoths and that they have incorporated this incident into their own mythology. So it's this beautiful, beautiful defamiliarization of a bunch. It's it's doing so much stuff that I could go on and on about. But the thing that really struck me was that because Tor.com also put out novellas um, about uh, other megafauna and alternate histories, which are Sarah Gailey's um, River of Teeth and A Taste of Marrow, um, those are like rollicking heist novels, uh, novellas. So, and because Brooke Bolander's stuff uh, that I've read up until this point has been very fast paced, very, um, like, uh, just like, like, I think it's like whiskey is the way I talk about, like, just like knocking whiskey back is like what Why Bolander's would you do that? I know. <laughs> well, but it's because it's hard and you're angry and you want the burn. Like there's, right. Uh, and so... But so that's kind of what I was expecting from this. I knew it would be difficult and full of unhappy things, but I still expected it to be what I think of as a Bolander story. And instead, it's slow. It's like it, it's like it, it's like sipping that whiskey. It's like a slow, long pour of something. Um, and when and the, the voices are so distinct and so sustained, uh, and it's just beautiful. And like the the being in the the mammoth space and that kind of like elephant mythology voice just forces you to slow down and really appreciate everything beautiful that's going on in the prose. And it's absolutely wonderful. And it come, it, it, yeah, it came out in January. So awesome. Yeah. Um, so let me throw a question at you guys that I threw at the other podcasters, which is, is there a time where you've pushed yourself on a character that maybe was giving you trouble or that when you were outlining, you're like, this is going to be a little tough. That was rewarding. Um, that you're glad you did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. this, is, this is exactly how we all answered it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of like an exclusively character instance um, because the the one that I want to use the is the the character and the truth about owls, um, uh, who is a girl named um, uh, Anisa, uh, sorry Anisa rather. I made that mistake. Anyways, uh, and she, like, initially when I, this this kind of plays into some of the things we were talking about in other episodes. Uh, initially, I was going to have her be uh, be Indian. 
and I and I I had wanted this story to be about gender, and I was going to explore those things through the Blodaweth story, which is a Welsh story about a woman made of flowers who gets turned into an owl, and I had all these like important structural things I wanted to do. Um, and then I realized I couldn't do any of them because I had no idea who this character was if she was Indian. Like I had no access to the things that I wanted to talk about. Um, I had like some thought process for why I had wanted that, but it was insufficient and and to, and discouraged me to the point where I just didn't want to write the story. And I literally wrote to the editors and went, you know what? I just don't think I can do this. I'm sorry. I'm going to back out early while it doesn't have a problem. And the editors, uh, Julia Rios in particular, went, but we really want a story from you. Can you not just tell this story like, you know, through through background that you're more familiar with? And and I ended up making uh, this character Middle Eastern instead. I ended up making her of, of Lebanese extraction and everything fell into place. And every single thing that fell into place, I fought, uh, basically, <laughs> um, because I did not. I was like, okay, she's going to be um, her. Her family is from Lebanon, but I really don't want to write a story about war. So uh, I'm, I'm, no, I'm just not going to do that part. And then I realized that the time constraints that I had chosen set it squarely in the time when Lebanon was being bombarded by Israel in 2006. And I was like, crap. Uh, okay. So, well, I'm going to put her in this other part of Lebanon where she won't have experienced any of that uh, because, you know, most of the bombing was on Beirut uh, and put her in Riyadh, which is my mom's village, which is a place that I spent time in, and then did a tiny bit of research and realized the only other airfield in Lebanon is in Riyadh. (laughs) And it also got bombed. (laughs) And I was like, oh, God, there's just no escaping this. I need to write this stupid war into this story. And I didn't want it to be about any of this. But as soon as I made those decisions, then the writing came out and um, and and it all sort of happened. Like it just every difficulty, everything that was like, no, I didn't want to do this. As soon as I decided to like, fine, fine I will do it. Um, it, it. It ended up working out. So I, I already talked a little bit about the process of writing the middle grade. Um, and, so, and so that, was, that would have been one example. I, I can give. Two examples, and it's all revolves around the same issue, and the issue is agency. Mm-hmm. So one, I'll give one example where I, I fixed the problem, and one example where it kind of slipped by all of us, which was inter- an interesting experience. Hmm. Um, and so, uh, so my, the story uh, that I have up with Uncanny, uh, Uncanny Magazine, um, Ache of Home, I, I'd sent the story in. They, they, they love the story. They're just like, yeah, but the ending. Uh, you know, your main character, she doesn't seem to have enough agency in solving the problem. Is there a way that, you know, we need to fix that, basically? Uh, and, so, and so they gave me some notes. And, and, um, and so it basically involved going back. And actually, when I, whenever I think about fixing character problems, I have this visual of you, like when you're, uh, yeah, I know, I'm, I'm pointing at Mary. She's <laughs> oh. <laughs> looking very frightened right now. Right. Um, <laughs> But like you were crocheting uh, the other day or, yeah, or something, and yeah, just the whole idea yeah. of just you, you sit there and you were like, and now we're going to unravel. Oh yeah, oh, right. Yeah. And that's what that's what the process was like. I was like, okay, now I got. I'm going to unravel the last third of my story. Okay. Oh, yeah. no, I'm 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 so glad that you said that because that that was that's a thing that as an early career writer and and when you're fixing character problems, one of the most liberating things for me was realizing that I could just 
pull a giant chunk of text out mm-hmm. and write a different chunk of text and and it cost nothing. nothing. Not a thing. And it's like the thing I enjoy personally about writing is writing. And so – and it was like my husband said this. He watched, was watching me pull a bunch of crochet out and he's like, but, but you know, you did all of that work. I'm like, yeah, but – but I get to crochet again. Right, right. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm still getting to crochet. Yep, yep. And so when I, and I unraveled, and, by the time, and then I got to re-knit it back together. And the, the re-knitting, for me, just looked like, in a lot of ways, it was just a matter of reordering and reprioritizing and just doing a, a series of just little shifts here and there. And mm-hmm. that, ultimately, that's all it took was just some little shifts here and there. I'm like, the story was already there. I just had to, you know, bring it out a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the, the one that slipped by a lot of us um, was with a Buffalo Soldier, of all things. Um, and, and it wasn't a major criticism or anything. It's just that there was one review that said, you know, love Buffalo Soldier, love the world building, you know, love these, all these aspects of it. It's just that the, the, the child that the main character is protecting has no agency and is little more than a damsel in distress. Uh, and and I, I, that's one of those things that just kind of haunted me. Uh, oh, yeah. Where it's just like, hmm. That one slipped by me. Um, and, and I get where, you know, because the, the whole story started with the whole image of, uh, so my, my nephew's on the autism spectrum, and it's like the worst hide-and-seek player ever. <laughs> and so, because, like, we'll play in teams, and, like, me and him will go hide, and, like, as soon as someone goes, hey, where's Orion? Well, he doesn't want you to be worried about him, so he'll jump out of the bushes, and like, here I am. And I'm like, you were awful at this game. <laughs> I mean, uh, um, so, so the whole premise of the story revolved around the idea of, like, trying to play, you know, it's basically a chase novel with, you know, a child who's like, hey, you know what? Why are we hiding, you know? And so, but it was one of those things where it's like, hmm, he doesn't, you know, while he drives the story, I, I miss the fact that he doesn't really have a lot of agency in the story. And so it's, it's one of those things where it's like, lesson learned. And I will, I'm, I'm going to keep that in mind for, you know, if I come back to write more of this, that problem will be fixed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I'm going to stop us here. This has been really good. I'm glad that we did this uh, this kind of one-two punch on this topic. And I have some homework for you guys. Um, and it actually relates to some things that Maurice and um, Amal were talking about. I, w- I find that often the way to fix a character problem is to add or subtract a character. Mm-hmm. So I want you to take one of your character's from a story you've written it, I want you to split them into two people and Mm -hmm. see what happens when those two people interact. And then in another story, I want you to try combining for a scene two characters that have been the same person or two different people for a while, combine them into one and see how that scene plays out with a character combined, with two characters combined. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production. Jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, 
And I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. Locus. 